Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Final study of the Follow Me series. Is that awesome? Man, it's, it's been an incredible journey. A couple of you guys are excited. I'm glad for that. Praise the Lord. Um, you might be thinking, hey, where are we going to go next? Well, guess what? We're going to go into another book of the Bible. We're going to go through uh, the book of Galatians next. So you can start reading up on the book of Galatians. And uh, again, we actually, it's, you know, we, we kind of took a, took a detour from what is staple teaching in Calvary Chapel is verse by verse, you know, books of the Bible. And, and we've kind of been doing this. It's really a kind of a topical study through the Gospels. But we're going to get back into verse by verse, line upon line teaching through books of the Bible. Now we're going back into Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, First, first and Second Thessalonians. We're going to go through those. So it'll be great, great studies. And uh, God's word is awesome. It doesn't matter where you are in it. It doesn't matter if it's the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, it all points to Jesus. And so, you know, there's just great truths in every aspect of it. That's why we should read the whole thing. Um, contrary to popular belief, we don't just read the New Testament as Christians. We read the whole Bible because the whole Bible points us to Jesus Christ. And so here we are today, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be in four different places, actually. Matthew 28, Mark chapter 16, Luke 24, and Acts 1. You can flip to those if you'd like, or they'll be up on the screen as well. You can start in Matthew 28. That's where we'll start. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We want you to go through the Word. Um, so just lift your hand up if you need a Bible. And you can find your way to these places. Uh, that would be awesome. And uh, once you're at Matthew 28, you can stand with me. We're, gonna, we're just going to read uh, a portion of Scripture that is called the Great Commission. And uh, Matthew chapter 28 is where we'll start. But if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. And also, if you're joining us online or listening to this later, we want to welcome you as well. So here we go, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16, we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. These are Jesus' final words to the church. That's us. These words were spoken some 2,000 years ago, and they, are, they were spoken directly to us, to anyone who would call themselves a Christian. That we ask you this morning, Lord, that you would help us to obey these words. This is a command by Jesus himself to us. We ask you to, as we've already sang, set a fire in our heart, God, that we would be obedient to your word this morning. Fill us with your spirit. God, come teach us now. Pray for every word that would be spoken would be of your spirit, God. Just get me out of the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The, the title of my message is A Legacy to Live By. A Legacy to Live By. Now, Anytime anyone of any importance departs from the earth, you know what we find everybody talking about is their what? Their legacy. What is a legacy? A legacy is literally the highlight reel of a person's life. It is literally the, the, the very premise of how the person lived their life. It's a legacy. I wonder today, what would be said of you if you were to depart this earth this moment. What legacy have you left? What would people say? Would they say you're a good, good person? Would they say you're a great worker? Would they say you're a good student? Would they say you're a good friend? What would they say about you? Well, Jesus left us a legacy specifically that we're called to live by. And hopefully what would be said of you is this person lived out the Great Commission that Jesus Christ himself left for us to live by. 
he left the legacy that we're called to live, folks. You don't have to make your own legacy. In fact, if you look back through the corridor of history and you look at any person that God had used in the church, the only reason that they are successful is because they took charge and took hold of the legacy that Jesus Christ had left and they lived it out to their fullest by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't care who it is. You can insert any name. Here recently, Billy Graham passed away. We were talking about Billy Graham's legacy. What a great legacy that he's left for the church. And I, I, I don't want to be disrespectful. Don't take it as such. But Billy Graham was only successful because he lived out the legacy that Jesus Christ gave him to live out. It was simply by his obedience. He lived a life, a legacy of obedience, simple and pure. That's it. Are you living a life of obedience to the Lord, to his word? If you are, you will live out this legacy that Jesus has given you. You will. No questions asked. That is the only thing that we, are, that we need in order to be successful. Now, we're going to look at three different things this morning. We're going to look at the, the commission of Jesus Christ where he commissions the church. We're going to look at some further instruction that he gives the church. And then we're going to look at the ascension of Jesus Christ. So we start this morning with the commission of Jesus. He says in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to, which the mountain, uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. So here, I love this because if you were with us last week or the previous week, you'll notice that the disciples were not still, not yet being fully obedient to the Lord, were they? They were still doubting. They were still, they found themselves locked up behind closed doors. They were, went back to their old lives, went fishing and all of that stuff. They really weren't being obedient to Jesus. This is a good picture, folks, because now we find the 11 on the mountain that Jesus directed them to. What does that mean? That means they were being obedient to his word. They were being obedient to Jesus Christ. They had finally left their doubts and they pressed forward onto Jesus. They said, oh, we're going to follow you, Lord. We're going to do whatever it is that you ask us to do. And so they find themselves somewhere in Galilee. We don't know where the mountain is. Some say it's Mount Haran. We don't know. But here's what we do know. They're being obedient. If you're taking notes, write this down. Obedience is the only action required to live out the legacy given to me. Obedience is the only action required to live out the legacy given to me. And that's how we become successful Christians, as I said before. If you want to live out this legacy, all you have to do is obey, and it's very, very simple. Now, MacArthur, chronological, in chronological order, he, he, I don't know this word, chronicles. There you go. He chronicles. I can't even read my notes. This account about 20 to 35 days after the resurrection. So this is somewhere in between 20 to 35 days. We don't know exactly. We do know Thomas doubted and eight days later from the resurrection, Jesus showed up. Sometime after that, the disciples finally went up to Galilee where Peter was restored. That happened sometime during this period of time, this 20 to 35 days. And here we find them again. Uh, at the feet of Jesus, and it's somewhere in between 20 to 35 days. Now, what we do know is Jesus only appeared for 40 days. He only appeared from the point he rose again from the dead. 40 days later, he ascended. And so it's a short period of time. You're talking six weeks. You're talking a short period of time that Jesus were to come and to say, here I am, guys. Now I'm instilling you to go in to the world. He spent three years with them already. And here's an additional 40 days that he spent with them, commissioning them, teaching them, helping them, growing them in their faith. Right? So notice what it says here. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Who is they? Who is the they? Well, it's definitely the 11 because it says that. The 11 disciples minus, you know, Judas. So there was 12 minus 1 is 11. So there's the 11 original apostles. You can do your math, can't you? Whoa, look at that. 12 minus 1. So anyway, but what we do see here is that some suggest that the 500 uh, people that, uh, that saw Jesus at, at, at resurrected from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the ones that Paul wrote about, many suggest that they were also on this mountain at this time. They say, yes, the 500 were there, the 70 were there, and the 11. Now, we, we only find that Matthew uh, remarks specifically to the, the 11. Now, why is it that they would suggest that these other people, uh, you know, 
appeared there at that mountain? Well, because primarily because, number one, of the timing. Because it probably is very, very close to the ascension of Christ when he gives the Great Commission. So, uh, you know, they're going to journey back. We're going to see they're going to journey back down to Bethany, where Jesus will ascend from the Mount of Olives. But so they're, they're, they're a few days' journey away, so they're going to have to take time to do that. And so, you know, according to the, um, the, 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 the way that the, the math works out, many believe that this is the period of time that uh, Jesus appeared to the 500. And not only that, but also because of the response. So the 11 disciples had already seen Jesus multiple times. And at this point, they had already, you know, many believe like there's no way that they're doubting in Jesus yet because we see the response of how, they, how all of them live their lives. They're, they'll give their life for Jesus. They are believing in Jesus at this point, most probably. But it says here that some doubted. Well, who is the some? It's probably some of the 500 who are seeing Jesus for the first time or maybe, you know, have heard about him coming and now they're seeing him again. It's probably some of those. What I do want you to notice is there's two kinds of people on that mountain. There are some that are fully worshiping Jesus in faith and then there are some who I believe are fully worshiping Jesus and yet still halfway doubting. And I can't help but to think that there's some of those people here today. There's two sides of the coin here today. There are two sets of people that exist in this place today. Some that are coming with full faith, believing in Jesus Christ and everything that he says he is, and you are living your life out. You're, you're not doubting him. You believe in the resurrected Christ. You believe in the power that he's put inside of you to live the life that you're called to live. You're trusting him with your life. And yet there are some of you who are not you're not not doing that, but you're not fully doing that either. Like you're kind of trusting Jesus, but you're not fully trusting Jesus. Like you've seen him, you've seen it, you've experienced him in your life, you've seen him do many, many things in your life, and yet for some reason today, right now, you're thinking, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if this is enough. I don't know if, if you're enough for this. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you're going to work in this situation. Listen, if that's you here today, what I want you to know is Jesus Christ is glad you're here. He is glad you're here. You know, we talk about as Christians, well, if you don't have faith, God doesn't like you. No, that's not true. Because none of us had faith at one point, and all of us waver in our faith. Amen? Who wavers in their faith? Raise your hand. Only a couple of you. Yeah, no, all of us do. Why? Because God stretches us. That's why. He stretches us. He wants us to grow in our faith. And so we all waver a little bit. Don't, don't get into this mindset of thinking, oh, God is not happy with me now because I'm wavering my faith. You just keep worshiping him. You just continue to worship. Listen, you're here. That is an act of faith. The people that journeyed up that mountain by the voice of Jesus alone walked up the mountain by faith. They went up the mountain. They, Jesus said to go on the mountain. We're going. We're not sure what's going to happen, but we're going in obedience to him. That is faith. That is walking in obedience. And they went anyway, and you're here today. So listen, God is glad that you're here because all it takes is a little faith, just a little bit. Any inkling of faith is enough for God to work in your life. Listen, he just needs a little bit. And he, and he will work through it. So if you're here this morning and that's you, be encouraged because God is so glad that you're here and he is going to work in your life. You just keep worshiping him even in your doubt. Amen. So the stage is set here now. Worshipers are gathered. Uh, Jesus is in their midst. And now he is going to commission them to change the world one person at a time through the Great Commission. Look what he, and all that's going to be required is obedience. Look what he says in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on, and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Firstly, before we move forward, you know, we need to ask this question. I need to ask you this question. How much authority does Jesus have? All authority. In the Greek, that word all means all. He has every bit of authority that exists. He has it all. He has all authority. So what does that mean? 
Does that mean that what he's about to say after that has some weight to it? Do you think it has some, you know, that, that we should really take seriously what he has to say after the fact that he declares that he has all authority? Why would he do that? Why would he say, I have all authority? Because he wants you to listen. Because he is not only, we call it commissioning us, you know, we, we dole it down. This is a command. He is commanding you. He is not suggesting that you do this. He's not saying if you're gifted, you should do this. He is saying if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you do this. Well, who are you to tell me what to do? The one that has all authority. I have all authority. I can do and say what I want in these moments because I have all authority. He has put himself right here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, the same position as God. He has said, I am equal. My voice equals that of God's because I have all authority. It's been given to me. The Father has said, you have all authority. And he has all authority, and therefore, he can command us to do what it is that he's going to do. What does he say to us? He says, first and foremost, that we are to go. We're, go we're to go. Th this carries the connotation of going one's way. To go one's way. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to move to Africa. You know, that you're going to, you know, you're going to abandon your life and, and go move to some other country or something like that. What it means is in your daily life, in your goings, in your daily life, whether it's your work, your, your, your office, your, your, the grocery store, wherever it is that you were going, you were called to go. To go with a godly kind of going. It's not a worldly kind of going. It's a command from Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual going. It's a going that is intentional. It's a going that is thoughtful. It's a going that, that you have taken time to consider what it is that you're going to do tomorrow. How many of you guys start your day the night before? Anybody? Anybody in here like, you know, I lay my clothes out. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, these are all the things. I want to be effective the next day. And so what I do is I start my tomorrow the night before. And, I, you know, I kind of told my kids that. Hey, you guys need to get ready the night before. You need to be prepared. This is the mindset that Jesus Christ is trying to get us into, to kind of be prepared every moment of the day. So you prepare the night before for the day that's coming. You, you get ready. Now, here's what some of you don't realize is when you accepted Jesus Christ, as your Savior, you enlisted yourself in his army. You are enlisted. That means that he can tell you to do whatever it is that, that he wants you to do. He has the authority to do that. Why? You've enlisted. If you enlist in the military and they tell you, you will get up at 5 a.m. and you will do 100 push-ups, you don't say, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Oh, no, you will. You will. Why? You signed up for that. You enlisted yourself. You said, I'm available. I want to be used, so here I am. And I signed my name on that line, and I said, I am now, I hate to say this, but I am owned by you for a period of time. I have signed away X amount of time of my life to you for you to, to use my time however you will. Did you know you did that when you came to Christ? But it wasn't just for a select period of time. It was for your life, your entire life. You said, here I am, Lord. I'm giving you my life. I'm enlisting in your army. And then he tells you, okay, now that you're enlisted, here's the first thing that you need to do. You need to go. What? What do you mean? Go, I'm not that kind of a person. I don't have that kind of personality. What do you mean go? I can't tell people about my faith. I don't know anything. I didn't go to seminary. I don't, I can't, I can't go. Oh, really? Does Jesus ever ask you to do something that he hasn't already given you the ability to do? No. The answer is no. So here's the deal. When he says go, he's already gone for you. He's already prepared it for you. You simply have to be obedient to what it is. And all he's asking you to do is be ready. That's it. Simple. You don't have to create the good work that you're going to walk in. He already did that from before the foundation of the world. He already created that for you, Ephesians 2.10. You can look it up later. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he created beforehand for you to walk in. 
You don't have to create anything. All you have to do is get prepared. All you have to do is keep yourself in a steady state of going. I'm going to my office today, Lord, and I'm looking for opportunities, and I'm working, and I'm doing, and I'm, 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 you know, doing my job. Don't, don't stop doing your job. I'm going for Jesus, but you're forsaking everything that you're supposed to be. That's a bad witness. Don't do that. You're supposed to go and be thoughtful and prayerful and intentional about your going. That's what he's talking about. And you do that when you, the night before, when you, you, you start to pray, God, what would you have for me tomorrow? Lord, is there somebody in my office? Is there somebody at the grocery store? Here's what I got laid out in my life for tomorrow, Lord. Are there things that you want to rearrange? It's your time, not mine. Whatever you want to do, Lord, help me to go in the way that you called me to go. Not go for myself. There are many, many Christians who are not going, who are not going at all. Oh, yeah, you're going into the world for sure. You're going to make a living for your family, and you're going to do all these things, but you forgot the most important thing. It's about the priority of, of, of being focused and being on mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, and I'm more passionate about this right now in this moment than I ever have been because Jesus Christ is coming soon. He's coming very soon. This going that he spoke about 2,000 years ago is, you know, not that it was ever more relevant, but listen, time is so short, I believe. I believe time is so short that Jesus is coming back so soon that if you're not doing this now, you may not have an opportunity to. That's how close I believe we are. If you watch anything about what's going on in the Middle East, the stage is set, folks. We've got Russia. We've got Turkey. We've got Syria. We've got Iran. We've got all the players in place, ready to roll. Listen, there has never been a period of history in the world that has been staged like this, primarily because Israel has now become a nation. May 14, 1948, in fact, they're celebrating their, what is it, 70th anniversary this year. 70 years of being a nation. Jesus said, a generation shall not pass away. What does that word mean? A generation. If we take it literally, which that's how I read the Bible, literally, what's a generation? 70-some years? All I can say is we're close. And, and, and that should even put more of a fervency in your heart today to go with everything that you have, like so focused on not your own legacy. And that's where we make a mistake. We start focusing on our legacy. We start focusing on us and, you know, our, our livelihood and all of that rather than trusting the Lord and letting him provide for us and place us in the right places so that we can go in the right way. You're called to go. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. You are called to be ready at any time. Peter said, be ready at any moment to give an account for the reason that hope, for the, for, the, for the hope that lies within you. You have to be ready for that. You have to be intentional about that. You have to be thoughtful and prayerful about that. Now, he's telling you to go with a specific agenda. Someone must say, oh, I don't have any agenda. You should. You should have a very specific agenda. Jesus laid out a very specific agenda in Matthew chapter uh, 20 here, he, he, or 28 verse uh, 18. He tells us exactly what we are called to do. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. In that word make, you know, that, that word make literally means to create, to, you know, so it's the idea of evangelism. But it's not solely evangelism. We are called to go and evangelize the world. He didn't say go and make converts, did he? Because to make a convert would just simply give them the gospel and abandon them and say, you figure it out. That's not what he's calling us to. Thank God he didn't do that to you. Thank goodness the Lord, uh, you know, hasn't done that to you. And maybe it's a result of you seeking out discipleship. I think that's part of the process, by the way. You have to want to be discipled to be discipled. I can make a disciple, I can share with you about what Jesus Christ has done for you, and I can teach you, as he says in here, to obey, to observe his commandments, but you have to want to know 
And you have to want to receive it. And you, you've got to want to grow. So the idea here is, is multifaceted. Yes, it's evangelism. But it is discipleship, disciplined, uh, you know, focused teaching of, and receiving of the word of God. That's what discipleship is. It's teaching people. Why, why do people not have a lack of faith? Because they don't know God's word. That's why. And if you know God's word, then, you know, if you're lacking in faith today, then you need to remind yourself of God's word. You know, we'll see here later that that's exactly what Jesus does to counter doubt. He counters doubt with the word of God. He says, no, you're doubting in this? What does the Bible say about it? Do it. Do that, and you'll be fine. He is calling you and I to go and make disciples. You might not feel, feel equipped for that. You might think like, man, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm barely getting along myself. That's okay. Do you know that even as a new believer, that is the mandate for you? You might not know anything except for what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's enough. You go tell somebody else about it. He's not waiting for you to get some sort of level of a spirituality to say, okay, now you're ready, son. Go ahead and go out. He's telling you right where you are to share what he's done in your life. It is that simple. He's not asking for theological students. He's asking for people that will, by faith, take what they've learned and tell somebody else about it. That's it. That's all he's asking of you. Can you do that? Yes, you can. And we're going to see why here in a minute. We're going to see why, because God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. He has given you everything that you need. He will not set you up to fail. If God called you to go and make disciples, there are disciples out there that he's called you to make. He's already prepared it. So fear not and go and do what he asks you to do. You go into the world and you make disciples. A disciple is simply a learner, somebody who wants to know about Jesus. And here's what I'm saying, is that we're all disciples, aren't we? We're all learners. This is a, a free piece of advice for you. Um, you know, you should always, no matter who you are, I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus, it does not matter. You should always have a more mature believer in your life discipling you, and you should always have an, a, a less mature Christian in your life that you're discipling. And, and the, the concept of that is you should always have a Paul in your life and always have a Timothy at all times. You should always have that. You know, sometimes we think like, oh, I know the Bible well enough. I don't need anybody to teach me. Oh, listen, every time I open this thing, I learn something new. I am being discipled by many people. I listen to sermon after sermon after sermon, and I am discipled. I'm being discipled daily. I am being discipled. But here's the kicker. I want to be. I want to be. I'm choosing to be. And then I'm choosing to do what Jesus said, and I'm choosing to go out and to make a disciple. I'm choosing to take what I'm learning and share it with other people. Listen, I don't know about you, but I cannot contain what God has put in my heart. When he shows me something, I'm like, I got to tell somebody about it. I mean, I got to tell somebody what God has done in my life. It, he, he, it's, that, it's that profound to me that God would choose me, that he would look at me, that he would say, Tim, here, I want to show you this, that he, being infinite and, and being everlasting and all of these things that would take his time to open his word to little old me. Listen, that blows my mind. And I think that's so profound that I want to share it with somebody else. Don't you ever get arrogant and think that you don't need to be discipled. Don't you ever get to a place where you go like, oh, I'm, I'm too mature. Are you really? That shows your immaturity right there. And I don't mean to be you know, nasty about it, but that's the reality. Sometimes we get like that. I don't need more discipleship. Well, if you're saying that, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You need a lot. You need way more than you think. So here's the thing. He's calling us to go in to make disciples, but he's also calling you to be a disciple. He's calling you to learn. Now, notice what he says here. Go, in to all, go into all the world and make disciples. Listen, baptizing them. I love this. In the name, single tense, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the Trinity. We come and, the, and, and we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is to say, we baptize people in the name of Jehovah. 
Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are Jehovah. They are God. They are. Collectively, they make up God. Three in one. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we baptize somebody, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When God created the world, he, it says in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. God speaking about creation, making man in their, plural, image. He, who's he talking about? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Because life is being created. Being born again. We, 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 are, we are born again. And it's, it's not, that's not when it happens in baptism, but that's the idea. We are declaring to the world that new life. People have been raised from the dead. Now, there is this idea of people saying that you have to be baptized to be saved. And they get this from Mark's gospel in the 16th chapter in this particular area of scripture where Jesus is giving the uh, great commission through the book of Mark, right? So here's what he says. John Mark says this. This is how he phrases this. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, we're famous. People are famous. We shouldn't be. People are famous for taking scripture out of context. So if we simply say... Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Is that true? Oh, I stumped you. Yes and no. Yes and no. It's true, but it's, not, but it's not true. In the sense that, yes, the Bible does say that. That if, you're, you know, if you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved. It does say that. But what does the rest of the verse say? It says, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Where is the onus in salvation? Where is the condemnation happen? What is it relating to? Is it relating to baptism or is it relating to belief? To belief, right? Why? Because the backside of that verse states that, hey, listen, take the Bible in context. Make sure you read above and below what you're quoting. Make sure you don't take it out of context because it Ooh, this really makes my point. I'm going to take it out of context. The Bible says in, in Mark chapter 16a, Mark 16, 16a, whoever believes is baptized will be saved, period. And you can say, oh, yeah, it does. But did you read the last half of the verse? It says, whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's the point. It's all based on, on, on belief. It's not based on baptism. Baptism is this, simply a public confession of your faith in Jesus. That's it. You're simply saying, I am his. Now, should you be baptized? Yes, you should. Why? Jesus said to. Now, who's supposed to baptize people? The pastor? Who's this written to? To you, to me, to all of us. You're supposed to go into the world. You're supposed to make disciples, and you're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What? Yeah, because all authority has been given to Jesus. And Jesus said all authority through him has been given to you. And you can do these things in his name. Here's the deal. This is the coolest thing in the world. I love this. God is saying as you go spiritually father or mother somebody, as you teach into them, as you help them to grow in their faith, if you help them to be converted, you know, to be regenerated, and you help them through the, through the power of the Spirit, and you give them the gospel, and they come to know Jesus, it is your privilege and honor to then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know that? You can do that. It's not a pastoral duty, although we do it, and we do it all the time, and I'll do it all the time. But listen, when we do baptisms, if there's some of you who want to baptize your kids, do it. I baptized my kids before I was a pastor. Why? I'm being obedient to the scripture. The scripture says that I am to make disciples. I am to baptize them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the authority to do that. Maybe you have a little more authority than you realized because Jesus has all authority, and he's given you that authority to go into the world and to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You also are to teach them Oh, this is shaky for me, man. I don't know. I don't know if I can teach somebody something. In the Bible, I don't have... Listen. Who is the revealer of Scripture? 
Who is the revealer of Scripture? Is it seminary? It's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, 1 John 2.27, you don't need a teacher, for you have the Holy Spirit within inside you. Now, that doesn't mean we abandon church, because as we'll see earlier, we do. We come, and, you know, our whole purpose for coming is, is completely different than you think, I think, according to what we'll see here today. But, but save that for later. Just file it. You know, here's the deal. I, I totally lost my thought, train of thought, but um, I don't know what I was talking about. So whatever. It's not that important. Huh? Okay, teaching. There you go. Whoa, hey, what am I doing here? You know, you don't have to know a bunch to teach. You have to know what you know, and that's it. That's enough. It's enough. You, don't, you know what? I, and I don't want to degrade uh, degrees, and I don't want to degrade people that have spent time getting degrees and, and, and getting time to doing all this stuff. That is great, and they probably have a lot more a handle on some technical things. But in terms of a spiritual revealing of something, there is no school for that. There is no school for that. You can, get, you can get no letters behind your name for that. What you can get is truth. That's what you can get. And then you can give truth out. I am thankful for the doctors of theology who have spent their time studying God's word and breaking it down. And that is their calling. That is what God equipped them to do. He called them into the world to help you and I to gain different perspective, a different understanding but what I'm saying to you is, this is a general call to everyone. And therefore, since God doesn't call everybody to go to seminary, in a, in a true sense of the seminary word, but he does call us all to be students of the Bible, to rightly divide the word of God, then, you know, we're, we're called to do that and, that. and it's that simple. So you do have the ability to do it. You have the ability to teach somebody whatever it is that you know. So do it. Stop letting doubt, because it's doubt that stops you from, from saying, man, uh, I should really teach into this person's life. Listen, you would have no problem doing this. If somebody came and they said, hey, I want to I I play a game of basketball with you. And, and so you go, okay, show up at the court tomorrow. And they show up at the court, and they come, and they, you know, they're show, they have cleats on, and they have, you know, pads on, and they have a hockey stick, and they've got a goalie, you know, gear on and stuff, and you're saying, okay, I'm ready for basketball. You're like, dude, what are you doing? That's not how you play basketball. You know, what are you doing? You know, could you imagine how ridiculous it would be for them to say, well, who are you? How can you tell me how to play a big game of basketball? This is my basketball game. I'm going to do it my way. You know, you would say, dude, you're you're not smart, okay? That's not how you play basketball. And I'm going to tell you that, even though I'm not a professional, even though I don't know much about basketball, that's not how you play. And I have no problem telling you that. Some of us have a problem telling somebody how to, how to be a disciple in Jesus Christ because we're afraid that, oh, I'm sorry, that it's your journey. You're on your own journey. You, you should, you know, you, everybody's doing it different. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says we're all supposed to be doing it the same. Right? There is no different journey. Now, you're at a different place in your journey, but there is no different journey. We're all on the same journey to the same place through the same power, through the same Lord, going to the same place. We are not, we got to stop pulling back and saying, oh, it's your journey. It's not only their journey. It's our journey. And if you're not doing it right, then you need to say that. That's being truthful. That's speaking the truth in love. I don't want to offend anybody. Well, Jesus, listen, he didn't set out to offend somebody, but he did set out to teach people, and if they get offended on the way, I'm sorry. You know, that's the point. you got to make a disciple. You have to teach them. If you don't ever teach somebody how to be a Christian, and that's by, also by living your life, by the way. It's not simply by saying words, but that's by living your life out that way as well. If you don't teach somebody that, then how are they going to know? How are they supposed to know? you got to teach them. Jesus said, you got to teach them to observe my commandments. That means that you have to observe those commandments too. To do otherwise would be legalism. To do otherwise would be, you know, to, would be to, to basically, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. Listen. 
the end of the day, you have to be mighty in word and deed like Jesus was. He was mighty in word and deed. So be obedient to that, man. Make disciples. Go. Make disciples. Baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe his ways. And you, you can, listen, you can, at the end of the day, if you're afraid, Jesus gave you one, one uh, surefire uh, pe- uh, word of peace here. He said this, I'll be with you. Why do you think he said that? Because it's kind of scary. Because going out and putting yourself out there is kind of scary. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should do, man. My brain checks out on me sometimes while I'm up here. It's kind of scary. I'm, a, I'm afraid. Listen, at the end of the day, he's calling me to do it. So I'll do it anyway. Even my brain checks out. No big deal because I'll just keep moving forward because he called me to it. But here's the thing. He's with you always. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Always he is with you. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a Bible study. It doesn't matter if you're out in your workplace. It doesn't matter where you are. He is with you. And if he's with you, he's the Prince of Peace. You can have peace. Just remind yourself, he's with you. He's with you even now. If you've not been baptized, if you've never been baptized, take out that that Connect card and write on there, I want to be baptized, and put it in the, the offering box today, and we'll baptize you. We'll bring in a trough in here. We'll do something. We will baptize you because you should be baptized. It's not how you're saved, but it's the public confession of you being saved. And if you're here with that person and you're saying, hey, I, I should, you know, I want to be baptized, and you're like, and you're the father, or you're the, you're the disciple, or whoever you are, does, I don't care who it is, you can do it because the Bible tells you you can. Don't be afraid. Listen, we are living in the last days. Jesus has commissioned you. He's that, that word is too soft. He has commanded you to go into the world and to make disciples. Are you going? Are you going? Are you prayerful? Are you thoughtful about what you're doing tomorrow? Are you, are you praying about the people in your workplace, in the grocery store line? Are you praying, God, use me? That is the only reason you exist after you come to Christ, folks. That's why, that's the only reason God hasn't taken you home is because your purpose now is to do what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, to go into all the world and do what he said. That's it. The only, only, he's left you that legacy, and the only way that you will be successful if you're obedient to it. You have to be obedient to him. Now we move on to some further instruction in Luke chapter 24. He says, uh, verse 44, Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, so here's the thing. Jesus further instructs his disciples. You know how? Through his word. It's not like he came up with something different. No, no, he taught them this. The same thing you have. He said, let me show you something. Let me show you how the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the, the prophets, uh, the Psalms, how they all point to me. So that means that you're called to be a student of the Old Testament, Christian. You know, and as you open up God's word, because Jesus is with you always, he's going to open his word to you. He's going to cause, cause you to have understanding He's going to do that for you because you need to grow in that. You need to have greater and greater understanding. And listen, the more you do now, the greater you will understand in the millennium, in the millennial reign of Christ. Because, listen, it is going to be set up identical to the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapters 40 and on talk about the new, new temple being built. Talk about the, the things that will be, there'll be sacrifices in the millennial reign of Christ. None of that will provide forgiveness of sins, but all of that will be Pictionary for the people so that they can understand how all of that related to Jesus. Is that cool? I can't wait for that. I can't wait to see all of that and, and to see how all of, all of that works because we see in part today. But when we get there, we're going to be blown away as we see the way that the old, the, the, the old system, the old, 
uh, covenant worked and how it related to Jesus. There are so many cool pictures already, but you're called to do that. And Jesus himself will open up the scriptures to you as you make that a priority in your life. Listen, he said that those things, those things found in the Old Testament, those things found in the, the law, in the, in the prophets, in the Psalms, are the very things that you're called to be a witness of. Wait, I thought we were in the New Covenant. Well, we are, but the New Covenant is a reflection. It is basically just an upgrade of the Old Covenant in the sense of the blood sacrifice that was made for you. You see, it's not by law. The law points us to Jesus. It's by grace, right? We don't deserve what we get. But as we operate in grace and we receive the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who is Jesus Christ, that is the new covenant. But we're all called to come into it the same way. The, the, the Israelites were called to um, tell people about repentance. They were called to preach repentance back in this day. It wasn't simply, hey, just show up at the temple and make your sacrifice and you're good. No. If you did that, you would probably come down with some disease or you would probably die. If you tried to worship God like that, that's why if you read Isaiah chapter 1, God says, I am so sick of your sacrifices because you come to me in this way, unrepentant in your heart. And he is just blowing them up in the scriptures. He says, oh man, your hands are full of blood. But what does he say, continuing on? But I'm going to wash you white as snow. It's through Jesus Christ. But the, the point of it is that they were called to come in repentance. You've got to come in repentance. It's the same way today, even to enter the new covenant. It's through repentance. It's by turning away from your life and turning your heart towards the Lord and saying, I believe in that sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus Christ becomes the sacrifice for you. His blood. Only his blood can do that. And so he says you're supposed to be a witness of that, proclaiming that, beginning in Jerusalem. That's where they were supposed to start in their hometown. Supposed to start in Jerusalem and tell everybody about them. They're supposed to be witnesses there. Listen, if you're, if you're waiting to be a witness somebody else, you're kind of missing the point. Like if you're sitting here going... God's called me to be, you know, this, 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 this teacher or this missionary or this whatever it is that you think God's called you to, and you're waiting for that, and you're not doing this, then you're probably missing the point. Like, you should probably be doing this already if he's called you to it. You see what I'm saying? Like, we're not waiting to get the job. Like, you have the job, so you just start doing it now in your own hometown. And as you start to do it in your own hometown, God will move you on. But listen, as I said before, if you're not faithful with the little, how is he supposed to send you across the world into a people you don't know, you know, if you're not trusting him today to do what it is that he's calling you to do now? How in the world can you expect him to send you there? That would be, that would be not a good thing. That would be irresponsible of the Lord. And God's not irresponsible. So listen, there's a partnership in ministry with the Lord. And he's done his part. He's just waiting on you. You got to do your part. You got to be his witness, and you got to start here. Now, notice what he says here. And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So he tells them that there is additional power coming. Now, this power is what is referred to as uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we find this being uh, specifically written in Acts chapter 1. If you'll turn there with me, um, you know, Acts, Mark wrote Acts as well, or Luke wrote uh, Acts as well. So this is a continuation of the book of Luke, really. And so what Luke is saying here about the power that's coming from on high, he elaborates in Acts chapter 1, and he says this in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the, of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here's what, 
here's what Jesus is talking about. That power from on high that's going to come, listen, very important, this word. You can circle it in your Bible. Upon you, in the Greek, is epi. It means to come upon. It is different than the sealing of the Holy Spirit, which is found in Ephesians chapter 1, 13. You can look at it there also in other scriptures. But there is a sealing of the Holy Spirit, which happened back in John 20, 22, when Jesus came in to the upper room there, and he said to his disciples, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a different, uh, that is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now, because the disciples had already believed, and uh, Jesus hadn't yet died and rose again from the dead, that was the point in which the Holy Spirit came inside people. He, he had never been inside of other people before, except for John the Baptist. He was filled with the Spirit of God from his birth. Inside his mom's womb, he was filled with the Spirit of God. He was sealed with the Spirit. So before this, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. That is the epi experience of the Holy Spirit. There's three relationships that we have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with everyone. He's with everyone. The Holy Spirit is only inside of believers. And the Holy Spirit only comes upon believers. Those are the three different relationships we have. So everybody at salvation has the Holy Spirit inside them. That's when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. But Jesus says there's, an, there's, a, there's, a, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes upon, comes on you to be his witness. It's a special power from the Father to live out this life in the world and to declare that Jesus. Now, why do you need this special empowerment? Well, let me just tell you because we find it in Mark chapter 16. You can flip over there. This is what these guys are supposed to do. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink de any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. What he is saying is that you need this power from on high because you're going to be used to do miraculous things that you cannot do in your own power. That's why you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But don't, don't I have the Holy Spirit inside of me? Yes, you do. And that, that is God's signet ring. It is his sign from heaven to you that you belong to him. And he has rectified what was wronged in the Garden of Eden and he has left his spirit in you for that purpose. But, but there are periods of time, there, there are things in your life that you're going to be called to do that are going to require a baptism of the Holy Spirit, this, this special empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need that. So, you know, and he tells us why, because we're going to do all these different things. I'm not going to go into that. That's a different study for another day. These guys need this power. And in fact, everything that's summarized in Mark chapter 16 is the summary of what happens in the book of Acts. It's the summary of what happens in the book of Acts. They need that power. Jesus says, don't you dare go into the world without it. Why? Because you're going to be extremely frustrated. You're going to be trying to go it alone, and it is not going to work. You need this power from on high. So how do we get it? How do we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do we, you know, sometimes it happens right up salvation for some people. Sometimes it happens after salvation for people. I believe that it happens more than once. Some people believe that it only happens once. It doesn't matter how, how you believe in it. The fact of the matter is we need it, amen? And if we need it, how do we get it? Well, what did he say? If you memorize all the books of the Bible and say them in chronological order, you will get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No. You know, it's not a video game that if you get to some level, you are powered up now and you can go further. That's not how it works. He says, wait. Oh, that's harder than anything, isn't it? You're called to wait. Wait, didn't he tell me to go? Oh, yeah, he told you to go. But he told you to wait until you're empowered to go. You got to have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to go. And he's saying the way that you get it is you wait for it. You ask him for it. You know, you, you go to him and you say, Lord, I'm waiting on you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you can use me. God, that you want, that you, and here's the deal. Maybe you have never experienced it before because you're not prepared to be used. You're not ready. You're, you're saying, 
you know, I'm going, but I'm going in my own way, and I'm living out my own legacy, and yeah, I'm going to heaven and all that, but at the end of the day, I'm not on mission for Christ. If you're on mission for Christ, you know you need it. You know you need the Holy Spirit. You know that you've got to be baptized in the Spirit in order to do the things that he's asking you to do. So here's the thing, is you wait. He tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait until the Spirit comes upon them. Now, we know that this happens in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, which is, again, another study for another day, which is kind of cool because it's a feast and how that all works, but you can check that out later on your own. But it comes just like Jesus said it would. Why are you doubting today that it won't come on you? Why are you doubting today that he won't baptize you in the Spirit, that you won't be able to be used in this way? Well, we don't see this happening anywhere in the world, you know, and there are those in the church that say all of this has ceased. Well, that's not what our brothers and sisters are saying across the, the globe and various other countries. And the reason why they're, they're experiencing that is because there is a hunger and there is a boldness to proclaim Jesus Christ and to, to go out and to really go into the world. And God is using those people to do these things. In our nation, there is a culture of consumerism Christianity, which means that I'm coming to get something for me. I'm not coming to get something from God or for God. I'm not coming to give to God. I'm coming to get for God and, and from God. And so God is saying that there's, there's a problem here because you have to be a giving person. You've got to worship me first. You've got to come in that way before I, I can empower you to do the things because you're, you're not spiritually mature enough to handle it. You hear me? He's saying that it's not about us. It's about laying our lives out before him and saying, God, you are worthy and whatever you want to do with my life, you're worthy of that. I don't care what it is, Lord. Empower me and he will. That's the thing. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they are called to wait. Jesus tells them, you wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in the meantime, I'm, I'm peacing out. I'm gone. I'm leaving. And he, he leaves. He leaves. And these guys are standing there going, and some angels show up and go, hey, knuckleheads, go do what he said. Why are you looking up into heaven? He's going to come in the same way. That is a picture for you and I. And what happened here was Jesus ascended into heaven, and the cloud that he ascended into was not a cumulus cloud. This was the pillar that was found in the Old Testament. This is the Father in the cloud. This is the glory of God that took Jesus up, and he will come back in the glory of God. And when he comes back, he is going to come back on a horse with a sword, and he is going to make war. These angels said, I, he is going to come back in the same way he departed. So, so go do what he told you to do, because you don't know when he's coming. But he's coming, so be ready. These guys were called to go right then again. You see, there's a stagnancy that can happen in our Christian lives. We can be looking up so much that we forget about our mission on the horizontal. We can be so, you know, they say that, you know, you're, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But I would say this, you have to be heavenly minded in order to be uh, earthly good. You have to. The Bible says, set your mind on things above. But that shouldn't stop you from doing, if, if you really are doing that, by the way, you would be doing this. If you really are setting your mind on Christ, and on the things that please him, you would be going out into the world because he cares about lost people. He loves lost people, and he wants lost people to know him. And so, you know, we're, we're called to be ready at all times. But at the same token, we are called to be engaged in this culture and to bring the gospel to people who need it. That's what we're called to do. This is the commission. Jesus, th there was a transition that happened somewhere in there where they journeyed from this mountain in Galilee to the Mount of Olives, just somewhere around Bethany, the Bible says. And that is the same place. That is on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, which faces, by the way, the eastern gate. 
The eastern gate, prophetically, is the gate that Jesus Christ will come into and take his um, throne in Jerusalem in that, in, in his, after the tribulation period. It says it in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other shall half southward. Jesus will come back and he will descend on that same place that he went back up on. If you go to Jerusalem, some, some of those guys are going to, some of the guides that will take you around will take you to the western side and say, this is where Jesus ascended from heaven. No, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he ascended from somewhere around Bethany, and it says, these angels said that he was going to come the same way that he left, and it's going to be in the same place, the Mount of Olives. That's where he went up. And so if you're in Jerusalem, <laughs> and you're coming with him in the clouds, because we're going to be raptured out of here before it happens, I believe, fully. You can feel free to disagree on that, but that's okay. Um, but at the end of the day, we're coming back with him. Don't go to the west side. That's not, where he'll come. That's not where he's coming down. You need to get on the east side and come down to the Mount of Olives. Amen? Here we have Jesus, man. He's telling these guys. It, one other additional thing in Luke chapter 24, verse 51 through 52, when he was going up, it says, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple. Listen, blessing God. I love this. When Jesus left, the very last thing he did was he blessed them. You know what? I believe he set the precedence for what he's going to continue to do while he's away. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. Does he not bless you? He blesses my socks off all the time. He is still blessing. He, he's a God of blessing. He wants to bless. But he also is a father who will discipline. And that is a blessing too. Jesus blessed them. And so what did they do? They blessed him back with their lives. It says that they, they were full of great joy and they, they went continually to the temple blessing God. Listen, do you come to the collective temple? This is our temple. This is the church. We are the church. It's not a building. It's us. But when you come to congregate, are you coming to bless him? Are you coming to bless God? Are you coming to give him praise? Are you coming to give him honor? Or are you coming to get something from him? It's not wrong to say, God, I'm in need. That is not wrong. It's not wrong to approach the throne room of grace and let your petitions be known before him. But it is wrong to not come in a spirit of, of worship and praise to him. It is wrong to, to enter into his thing solely thinking about yourself. Your thought process should be, God, you are holy and I'm going to worship you no matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what I face today. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give you my heart. You know my needs, Lord. You know where I'm at. And as you turn your heart to worship God in the midst of your trials and tribulations, God, and you bless God in that way, he will show up hugely in your life. Hugely in your life. Listen, we gather to bless him. We gather to bless him. And yes, we come and we give the word of God and people grow. In the, and, but, but the whole point of congregating is, is to be vertical, to be focused on him to give him honor, to give him glory. You're blessing the Lord by giving him your attention right now. You're blessing the Lord by saying, God, I want that in my life. Bless him. That's why we're here. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for everything that you've done in our lives, God. We are so grateful today, Lord, to be in this place, to hear the final words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven, Lord. We thank you for this command to go into all the world, to make disciples, God, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for uh, allowing us, Father, to be able to teach those in our lives to observe your word by first and foremost being a witness ourselves. Father, we pray right now that you would help us as a body to be obedient to your word, God. Each individual here, you care 
about whether or not we're going. You care about whether or not we're making disciples. These are the very last words that you left with your disciples. And we want to be obedient to them today, Lord. But as your word says, we need empowerment. And some of us here have been baptized in the Spirit. We have the power from on high already. And yet there are some here today, God, that are in need of that. And I pray, Lord, as we close in this song, that as your spirit moves in the midst of this people, that you would do that, God, that you would meet us where we are. You would help each one of us to come and to just seek you out individually, Father, for your glory. Lord, we pray that um, as we close now, Lord, that you would just meet us. And uh, we thank you for your spirit being present here today, God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he's done for us, God. We bless your name. We give you honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.